Property Entrepreneur. World Wide Web.ebit3000.com. Property Entrepreneur. The Wealth Dragon Way to Build a Successful Property Business. Vincent Wong. World Wide Web.ebit3000.com. This edition first published 2016 copyright 2016 Vincent Wong registered office John Wiley and Sons Ltd. The Atrium, Southern Gate, Chichester, West Sussex PON198SQ United Kingdom for details of our global editorial offices, for customer services and for information about how to apply for permission to reuse the copyright material in this book please see our website at worldwideweb.wiley.com. The right of the offer to be identified, as the offer of this work has been asserted in accordance with the Copyright, Designs and Patents Act 1988. All rights reserved. No part of this publication may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted, in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, photocopying, recording or otherwise, except, as permitted by the UK Copyright, Designs and Patents Act 1988, without the prior permission of the publisher. Wiley publishes in a variety of print and electronic formats and by print on demand. Some material included with standard print versions of this book may not be included in ebooks or in print on demand. If this book refers to media such as a CD or DVD that is not included in the version you purchased, you may download this material at http://booksupport.wiley.com. For more information about Wiley products, visit worldwideweb.wiley.com. Designations used by companies to distinguish their products are often claimed as trademarks. All brand names and product names used in this book are trade names, service marks, trademarks or registered trademarks of their respective owners. The publisher is not associated with any product or vendor mentioned in this book. Limit of liability slash disclaimer of warranty, while the publisher and author have used their best efforts in preparing this book, they make no representations or warranties with respect to the accuracy or completeness of the contents of this book and specifically disclaim any implied warranties of mercantility or fitness for a particular purpose. It is sold on the understanding that the publisher is not engaged in rendering professional services and neither the publisher nor the author shall be liable for damages arising herefrom. If professional advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought. Library of Congress cataloging and publication data is available. A catalog record for this book is available from the British Library. ISBN 9781119326403 PBK ISBN 9781119326427 EBK ISBN 9781119327509 EBK ISBN 9781119327516 EBK Cover Design Wiley Cover Image Copyright Retro Rocket Slash Getty Images Incorporated Set in 11 over 13 pints New Baskerville STD by Aptera Incorporated, New Delhi, India printed in Great Britain by TJ International LTD Padstow, Cornwall, UK. WorldWideWeb.ebit3000.com For my father, who entrusted me with representing him on my first ever business trip and inspired me to follow in his footsteps. WorldWideWeb.ebit3000.com Contents Preface Ikes Acknowledgements Zai. About the author's AI. Introduction, My Property Journey 1. Part I The Old Deal. Chapter 1 The History of Property 9. 
Chapter 2 Traditional Property Investing 17. Chapter 3 Who Wants to Be a Property Investor? 21. Part 2nd The New Deal. Chapter 4 What's Wrong with the Old Deal? 41. Chapter 5 Understanding the New Deal 47. Chapter 6 Starting Your Property Business 59. Chapter 7 A Systemized Business is a Successful Business 65. Chapter 8 7 Deal Making Strategies 93. Chapter 9 Dealing with Objections 129. Chapter 10 The 7 Golden Rules for Property Entrepreneurs 139. The I. Web. 3000com The I. Contents. Part 3 The Real Deal. Chapter 11 Probate Property in Leeds 147. Chapter 12 Property with Registered Charges Against It in Stanmore 151. Chapter 13 Urgent Sale Needed to Clear Debts in Birmingham 157. Chapter 14 From BMV to Lease Option Deal in Liverpool 163. Chapter 15 Urgent Lease Option Deal in Lincoln 167. Chapter 16 Lease Option Deal on Dilapidated Property in Sheffield 169. Chapter 17 Part Now, Part Later Deal on Probate Property in Barnsley 173. Chapter 18 The Dutch Deals 175. Final Word, The Future of the Property Business and Dash Your Role 183. Index 187. WorldWideWeb.Ebit3000.com Preface W. Heather you've been investing in property for years, or you are a complete newbie, eager to learn and frustrated by not having the money or credentials to get on the property ladder in the traditional way, this book contains some of the most important information you need to know. I wanted to write this book, because, when it comes to finding and buying property, I have a wealth of knowledge I want to share. The methods I will be discussing are not those generally talked about. Why? Because none of them benefit the middleman ellipsis points the banks, the government and the estate agents. Whether you decide to use any of these methods or not, I believe you have a right to know about them, to have all this information at your disposal. I think anyone who is serious about investing in today's property market should have access to this information. Everyone deserves to know all the potential options. I'm not suggesting that these new types of property deals are easy, and this is not the one-size-fits-all approach that is usually taken in traditional property purchasing. Indeed, some types of deals are only applicable in certain specific circumstances. However, if you want to be in the property business, I believe you have to think like an entrepreneur. And as an entrepreneur, you need to gather all the information you can lay your hands on, so that you can always make an informed business decision. The information in this book is based on all my years and extensive experience in the property business, I believe I have an obligation to share that with you. Every method I describe in detail in this book I have tried and tested myself. Knowledge is power and, for too long now, the balance of power has been in the hands of the people who are feeding you information based on what is best for them, not you. The estate agents, the lawyers, the lawmakers, the government and the media are not thinking of your best interests when they advise you, no matter how they dress it up. Do not let them convince you. Ikes. WorldWideWeb.Ebit3000.com X Preface. Otherwise. My advice to anyone on any issue is get informed and then make the best decision for you. I hope you enjoy this book, I look forward to meeting some of you someday and I wish you all the best on your journey through the property business. 
World Wide Web. Ebbot3000.com. Acknowledgements. I am indebted to so many people for helping to make this book happen. Firstly, thanks to everyone at John Wiley and Sons, especially Thomas Hirkiel, Jeremy Chia, Gladys Ganadin, Tessa Allen and Caroline McPherson. Thanks also to Miranda Leslaw for all her ongoing hard work and expertise in PR. My deep gratitude goes to my family and friends for your love and support. I wouldn't be where I am today without the support and guidance of all my mentors. Your Wisconsin Dumb has helped me become a proud mentor to others who are starting out or re-establishing their property businesses. We all learn from each other. The learning process never stops. I want to thank everyone who works within my property team for helping to run a smooth and successful business, especially my Dutch partner and dear friend, Marina Dijon, and my sister, Florence, for expertly doing so many deals on my behalf. But mostly I am hugely grateful to all the sellers who have ever put their trust in me, whether or not we made a deal, we worked tirelessly together towards a win-win situation. I am always honored and often humbled to learn about your lives and the circumstances under which you become motivated sellers. You are the ones who drive my passion for the property business ellipsis points which, for me, will always be a people business. Zai. WorldWideWeb.Ebbot3000.com About the author. Vincent Wong is co-founder and executive chairman of Wealth Dragons PLC. An internationally recognized and respected property entrepreneur, Vincent has generated over 100,000 motivated seller leads to date and has helped hundreds of investors acquire properties with little or no money down. In addition to building his own multi-million pound property portfolio, Vincent has talked deal-making strategies, including lease option deals and dash on which he is a world-renowned expert and dash to investors throughout the world. As an internationally recognized public speaker and expert in the property industry, Vincent is regularly invited to speak to audiences of 1,000-plus delegates at the prestigious Property Outlook Conference in Kuala Lumpur, the biggest property conference in Asia. Vincent is a graduate of the University of London's School of Pharmacy and holds an MBA from Cass Business School. Zai. WorldWideWeb.Ebbot3000.com Introduction, My Property Journey the first flat I bought was a beautiful Victorian conversion. It was a one-bedroom garden flat in Clapham, in South London, and I paid pounds 73,000 for it in early 1998. At that time I was working as a pharmacist and earning around pounds 32,000 a year, so the flat cost just over twice my annual salary. To put this into context, a similar flat in Clapham now, at the time of writing, February 2016, would cost you upwards of pounds 500,000 and the top pay rate for a pharmacist is around pounds 55,000. So, while the top pay for a pharmacist probably hasn't even doubt bled, property prices have more than quadrupled, the price of that Clapham flat is almost 10 times what a pharmacist can earn today. This is a staggering gulf and does make you wonder who on earth can afford to buy property in London these days. Of course, I bought my flat at the bottom of the market and we were about to watch prices soar like never before. Indeed, when I decided to sell the flat in 1999 in order to finance a business idea I'd had, I made a total profit of pounds 36,000. The impact of making so much money in such a short space of time stayed with me and resonated with me for a long time. For a while my life was full of ups and downs. 
I trained and worked as a pharmacist and, while I enjoyed the contact with customers and felt I had a good bedside manner, I'd become frustrated with the glass ceiling in terms of pay. I had decided to study for an MBA, believing it would be my ticket into a fancy high-paid city job. However, I'd failed to get so much as a second interview for a single job. Overqualified and underexperienced was how I was described over and over again. My next move was to set up a website. This was during the height of the dot-com boom and I seriously believed I was going to make millions from it. The idea was great, it was a dating website for Asian people. I thought I'd have a huge market considering the population of China and how difficult I assumed it must be for men and women to meet. However, I'd failed to take into consideration the fact that China was way behind the Western world in terms of 1. Property Entrepreneur, the wealth dragon way to build a successful property business by Vincent Wong Copyright Copyright 2016 by Vincent Wong. 2. Property Entrepreneur, the internet and, in reality, my potential customers had no way of using my service. I had to close it down with losses of over pounds 300,000, and to make matters worse, I'd raised all that money through my parents and parents' friends, that is within a very close-knit Chinese community and dash not the most forgiving of people, when it comes to losing face. Finally I sat down and looked at everything I'd experienced. It was like seeing the pieces of a jigsaw finally come together in the right order. I merged the results of all my experiences together and finally made sense of them. First of all I noted that the most money I'd ever made was not by working a set number of hours for anyone, myself or an employer, it was by buying and selling property at the right time. Secondly, although my website had failed, because I didn't have the customers to populate it, I knew it had been a good site and I'd gained a great deal of experience in developing it, given the right product and audience, I was sure I could still have a successful internet-based business. Finally I thought about what a good people person I had learned to be, after all my days working in the pharmacy business. What, if, I thought to myself, I could build a website to help people sell their houses quickly and without hassle by connecting them to investors. And thus my business idea for NetworkPropertyBuyers.co.uk was born. I later went on to build NetworkPropertyInvestments.co.uk to attract investors for the sellers. My website was a database of property leads. I basically match-made investors and sellers who were particularly motivated to sell their properties. People were able to make direct deals, cutting out the estate agent middleman. Of course, these deals were struck at a lower price than the seller might have received on the open market with an estate agent pushing up the price, but they gladly paid that price for a direct and fast sale. These were people for whom a quick sale, for whatever reason, was paramount. As the business grew, I began to build my own property portfolio by making deals with some of the leads I found. I also started to come up with more and more inventive ways of doing property deals, so much so that my name became quite well known in the property business and I was sought after by various organizations to speak at conferences and teach what I knew to other property investors. I'll never forget the moment I believed I'd really made it, it was, when the BBC asked me for an interview. The BBC wanted my opinion. I was understandably flattered. Introduction, My Property Journey 3 My property business niche I think I was the first person to hone in on below market value BMV deals, and actually systemize the process. 
Nowadays everyone knows about BMV deals, but back then no one had heard of them. I used my networking skills to find cash-rich investors who were looking for property deals, then I used my marketing skills to find the people who were particularly keen to sell their properties quickly. I introduced them and took a fee for it. In effect I became the middleman myself, but I took my cut from the investor, not the seller. And the sellers always got what they most wanted, a quick sale. In the couple of years before the global economic crash of 2008-9, my business was booming. I had really carved out a great little niche for myself. However, with my knowledge of economics and general instincts about the way things felt in the property business and other related industries, I could tell a couple of years before the crash happened that the bubble was going to burst, as bubbles always do. We had been watching the subprime mortgage business get quite out of control. It was clearly only a matter of time before it all imploded. In any case, the whole credit-slash-debt culture couldn't last forever. And, unfortunately, the higher you climb, the further you have to fall. As devastating as the crash was for some people, any savvy entrepreneur knows that in times of economic instability there is always plenty of money to be made. As I saw the crunch coming, I realized that this was going to mean some pretty desperate homeowners were going to be needing to offload their properties, some of them might even find themselves in negative equity. The traditional methods of selling through estate agents were not going to help these people, and investors were going to find it harder and harder to get the financing that, to be honest had been a bit of a walk in the park to get up to that point. This is the Chinese word for crisis. I love it, because it is made up of two characters. The first character means danger and the second character means opportunity. As the property market started to collapse, I worked harder than ever, coming up with ever more inventive ways of structuring deals. As a result I, and the many others who followed my lead, survived. For property entrepreneurs, the crash and actually thrived during these so-called bleak economic times. So I feel I am living proof of the fact that there is opportunity within every crisis. Lease option pioneer of all the strategies I have developed to structure property deals, the most pioneering was the lease option deal structure. Lease option deals had been used in commercial property but, before I tried it, no one had used such a deal in the purchase of residential property. To me it seemed like a very viable N-dash, if unconventional N-dash way of structuring a residential property deal. Working with my lawyers, I set the precedent for using lease option deals for residential property. I ensured the first deal I did was legally sound and paved the way for any other investor slash buyer to use this method. I like to think I had a small hand in revolutionizing the way property is bought and sold using this particular deal structure. I certainly found myself in great demand after I'd started using this method regularly. People came to me, eager to learn how to structure deals this way. It was a method that allowed me, and many other investors, to carry on investing in property through the credit crunch, because it cut out the need for a conventional mortgage. I was soon being invited to speak at international property conferences and receiving more requests for interviews from national television channels. I have continued to teach my unique methods, including lease option deals and others, to this day, and these strategies form the heart of this book. Property Revolution, 
If you can read this book with an open mind, if you can put aside all your preconditioned thoughts about property and dash what your parents told you, what your bank manager told you, what estate agents have told you and dash then you stand a good chance of becoming a highly successful property entrepreneur. This book will change the way you think about property forever. I believe we are on the brink of a property revolution. All the goalposts have moved. Nothing is, as it was, and nothing will stay the same, as we move forward. The way people own, sell and buy. Introduction, My Property Journey 5. Property in the digital age is fundamentally changing. You must expand your thinking, you must keep up with all the relevant government legislation, because it will change in the blink of an eye. These days you must be on your toes, you must be adaptable. In many ways it's harder than ever to be successful in the property business, but if you stick with it, you keep learning and you stay flexible, the rewards are better than ever. A unique property book books on property investing are literally to a penny. You have probably read some of them, as have I. Indeed, if you are serious about being a property investor, you should read some of these books to give you a foundation of knowledge, especially if you're completely new to the game. But, no matter what you've read in the past, you've never read a book like this before. Because there isn't one. What you won't be reading in this book is how to manage your property as a landlord, a comparison of available mortgage products, specific tax laws or regulations about buying and selling property related to specific countries or time periods. What you will be reading about in this book is 1. How to make money from property in any market condition, that is regardless of how the economy is doing. 2. How to get into the property business, if you don't have the money for a traditional deposit or the credentials to qualify for a mortgage. Again, I want to emphasize that, apart from a couple of exceptions that I clearly point out, I have direct experience of every single strategy I outline in this book. What I'm teaching you is not theory but practical solutions, so that you can physically go and use these straight guys. In most cases I would advise you to learn alongside someone practiced in these methods, but there are no barriers to entry. The information is available to you, run with it. I started my property business with next to nothing, and you can too. The secret to my success is that I've learned to think outside of the box. That's what every successful entrepreneur has had to do. 6. Property Entrepreneur However you are, whatever background you are coming from, I hope you learn a great deal from this book. And remember, I want to hear from you and learn from you. I am still on my journey. I never stop learning. I sometimes feel my students teach me as much as I teach them in the long run. So, stay in touch and let me know how you're getting along. The property world is your oyster, don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. I. Part. The Old Deal. 1. Chapter. The History of Property. Land ownership has always been a complex and complicated issue. The history of organized land ownership in England really started with the Doomsday Book, established in 1086 during the reign of William the Conqueror. This publication was an extensive list of all landholders that outlined all the taxes they owed to the king, who technically owned all the land in England. Under the feudal system, lords controlled their allotted land and granted rights to vassals and serfs who could live on and work the land in exchange for allegiance to the lord, that is the promise, that they would fight to defend their lord, if he came under attack in any way, as well as the obligation to serve that lord in whichever way he pleased. 
Basically it was a form of slavery, those in service to the Lord had few rights. The English Civil War, that saw Charles I executed and the establishment of the Commonwealth under Oliver Cromwell, also brought about the formal end of feudal land tenure. Even after the restoration of the monarchy, it was established, and has been held ever, since that the English monarch could only govern with the consent of Parliament. And thus began common law and the democracy under which we live today. So what did this mean for land law? Basically, it led to the establishment of freeholders of land. The monarch became formally obliged to acknowledge your land rights, that is your right to live on the land you own as long as you paid your taxes due. From this point, as a freeholder, you were entitled to live on your land free from the obligation of serving your lord. Basically you own the estate which is where the term real estate. 9. Property Entrepreneur, the Wealth Dragon Way to Build a Successful Property Business by Vincent One Copyright Copyright 2016 by Vincent One. 10. Property Entrepreneur comes from, as opposed to the land, and you were entitled to sell that real estate or pass it on to your heirs. By contrast, leaseholders were limited to owning the estate for a given lease term, paying a rent to the owner of the land. Typically lease lengths were extensive and these days are usually around 99 years. In modern times leasehold properties have become increasingly common, where multiple dwellings exist on the same piece of land, for example, purpose-built blocks of flats. If you have 50 flats within a building, it would be a logistical nightmare for all the owners to share the freehold, so one landlord usually owns the land and leases it to the owners. If you've ever bought a leasehold flat you'll know that you have to pay ground rent to the freeholder, even though you technically own your flat. At the end of a lease, the legal deeds to the property pass back to the freeholder, which is why you should always seriously consider the length of a lease before buying property. Common law aside, it was still a long time before ordinary people could buy and sell property, because most land was still owned by the ruling classes. The working classes still lived in privately owned accommodation and then paid rent to their landlord. Ownership and control the above is an extremely abbreviated account of how property works and scholarly historians would probably balk at its simplicity, but my objective is to get you to understand what I call the myth of ownership. Whether we are talking about the land that you own and dash on which you still pay a tax to Her Majesty's government for the right to live on and dash or the house you live in and dash which you probably have a sizable mortgage on and dash you do not physically have total ownership of your land. What you do have, to an extent, is control. But even then you are limited. If you want to add an extension to your property, or turn your front garden into a driveway, you must ask permission from the local government. If you live in a listed property, you may have further restrictions on what you can do inside. If there is a 17th century oak staircase in your grade second listed 14th century manor house, chances are you can't just rip it out and replace it with a modern glass and steel version. Many people who are in rented accommodation long for their own place specifically, because they want more control. They imagine. WorldWideWeb.ebit3000.com The History of Property 11. How good it will feel, when they can paint the living room to their taste, or install a new power shower, without always having to go to their landlord to ask permission. And buying rather than renting your property does give you a huge increase in control. You can more or less decorate, as you like, and as long as you keep paying your mortgage you can stay in your property for as long as you like without the threat of eviction ellipsis points you basically have more rights.
but it's all still relative. Remember this concept of control rather than ownership, as it will really help you to understand some of the concepts and buying strategies in future chapters. Modern land law The big reforms in land law in England took place during the late 19th and early 20th centuries. These reforms, both in terms of their fiscal and social implications, widened the scope of ownership and control of property. For example, the Naturalization Act of 1870 gave aliens the right to own and transfer land in England for the first time. The Housing Act of 1919 gave rise to the building of new homes. Many of these first dwellings were built under a scheme called Homes Fit for Heroes after the First World War. This started a long tradition of building state-owned housing in England, which gave rise to the many council estates that still stand today. As the demand for social housing grew after the Second World War left over 1.4 million people homeless in England's major cities, new initiatives were started, and eventually the first New Towns Act of 1946 led to the establishment of whole new communities. Entire towns, with all the necessary infrastructure and facilities, were planned. Places like Milton Keynes, Telford, Harlow and Basildon were planned from scratch to cope with the impact of the post-war population boom. The strain of owning and managing such a large housing stock put huge pressure on local government. In general, the 1960s and 1970s in the UK were years of massive economic unrest and instability. The pound was devalued, economic decline led to trade union strikes and unemployment rose dramatically. The welfare state was stretched and local government coffers were running dry. Margaret Thatcher's solution, when she became Prime Minister in 1979, was dramatic. She implemented widespread deregulation. Twelve property entrepreneurs and privatization in order to boost the economy and undermine the powers of the unions. But by far the greatest impact on the UK's property market came with the Housing Act of 1980, which gave council tenants the legal right to buy their homes. Tenants were entitled to apply for a mortgage from their local authority. At this time, mortgage interest relief at source, nearest, was also in effect, allowing people a certain amount of tax relief on the interest payments on their mortgage. A subsequent act dealt with the problems that many new homeowners faced due to the substandard quality of housing stock. The Housing Defects Act of 1984 gave former council tenants who had unsuspectingly bought their homes only to find major structural problems, the right to apply for local authority grants. A key feature of the Housing Act 1980 was that council tenants could pay a deposit of pounds 100 for the right to buy their home at a fixed price for the following two years. If the tenant then went on to sell that house within five years of purchasing it, they had to share the capital gain with the local authority. Remember this feature, when we come on to talk about options. But it was the Housing Act 1988 that brought about the most significant shift of control in favor of private landlords. Assured shorefold tenancy until the Housing Act 1988, tenants had significant rights in the properties they rented. If they continued to pay the rent, they couldn't be evicted. But if they didn't pay the rent, it was difficult to evict them. The assured shorefold tenancy gave landlords the right to give tenants two months' notice to leave the property, after the first six months of the tenancy. This differs significantly from the assured tenancy, which gave the tenants the right to remain in the property, unless the landlord was able to obtain an order of possession to evict the tenants. 
Any rent increases were also subject to review by Rent Assessment Committee, as opposed to the ability, under the assured shorefold tenancy agreement, of landlords to make whatever rent increases they want, although a tenant does have a legal right to challenge any increase they deem unreasonable. Obviously, most landlords chose to use the assured shorefold tenancy agreement, even though this often meant a high turnover. The History of Property 13. Of Tenants. Again, remember this point for later, when we come on to discuss tenant responsibility. Leases, although this may seem like it should come before discussion of the assured and assured shorefold tenancies, I've left it until last, because it's the most significant concept I want you to remember. It will help you to understand the rest of this book, because it underpins many of the strategies I will be discussing. Any tenancy is, by nature, a lease. A lease is simply a contractual agreement that is made between a lessor, the legal owner of an asset, and a lessee, which grants rights to the lessee to use that asset. Significantly, the terms of a lease can be whatever the lessor and lessee agree on. You could lease someone a tangible asset, such as a car, a phone or a property, or an intangible asset, such as a license to use a software program or a radio frequency. You can agree on a fixed-term lease or a periodic lease. You can agree that rental payments are to be made weekly, monthly or annually. But whatever you decide and agree on is fixed. You cannot change the terms of the lease unless both parties are willing to make a new agreement. When a landlord and rental tenant sign an assured shorefold tenancy, asked, agreement, they are bound by the terms of that standard agreement. But no one is obliged to offer or accept this type of agreement. Again, remember this ellipsis points it will become significant and on. Playing Monopoly for Real In the 1980s and 1990s, private ownership of property skyrocketed. The rise of the professional landlord was a hot topic, and lenders even introduced the buy-to-let mortgage in 1996. Being in the property business, as all this was happening, as investors were snapping up properties left, right and center, must have been like seeing a game of Monopoly come to life. The recession of the early 1990s only gave savvy investors the ability to snap up more properties at reduced prices. New labor capitalized on the economic strength of conservative policies, while promising better management of spending. When Tony Blair took over, as Prime Minister in 1997, the country was 14 property entrepreneurs. Already fast climbing out of recession and dash indeed the economy grew fairly steadily until the big crash that began at the end of 2007, which was precipitated by the undermining of real assets by the subprime mortgage market. The aftermath The aftermath of the global financial crisis was ugly in the property investment world. The collapse of some of the world's biggest banks and financial institutions, such as Lehman Brothers, and major U.S. mortgage companies, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, completely destabilized the global economy. Until this point, we had seen years of haymaking for property investors, as lenders fell over themselves to offer mortgages at ridiculously low rates, everywhere you looked. People were buying properties at inflated prices, speculating they would rise even further, and taking on huge mortgages. Ordinary people were able to invest in property. Never before in the history of Britain had so many people of every social class been able to own property. Teachers, doctors, window cleaners, plumbers and builders were becoming so-called property millionaires alongside the traditional wealthy classes. The problem was that many investors soon found themselves mortgaged up to the hill with what turned out to be toxic debts. 
when the housing market collapsed, many people found themselves trapped in negative equity, meaning that their mortgages became greater than the actual value of their properties. The debts were called in and many properties were repossessed. People learned the hard way that being a property millionaire on paper wasn't even worth the sheet of paper. Put it this way, if you had 10 properties each worth pounds 500,000 before the crash, and you had pounds 100,000 of equity in each, you were, at that point, a property millionaire, that is you owned pounds 1 million of equity. When the property market crashed and each of your pounds 500,000 properties collapsed in price to pounds 400,000, you were suddenly worth nothing, and with pounds 4 million worth of mortgage debt in your name. If those properties slipped even further down to pounds 350,000 each, you now technically owed the bank pounds 500,000 on top of the mortgage debt, that is you were in a negative equity situation. In commercial property, the bank does not allow you to be in negative equity, in fact you can only be in mortgaged debt up to an agreed. The history of property 15. Loan to value, so you always have to make up the shortfall, if the value of the property falls, in residential property, you don't have to give the bank anything as long as you keep servicing the mortgage. If you are unable to pay the mortgage on any property, the bank will repossess your property and come after you for any shortfall, if they don't recover enough to pay off the entire mortgage, that is once they repossess, they can claim any shortfall from you. In B, this only applies in the UK. In the US they cannot come after you for this shortfall, which is why so many people walked away from properties when they fell into negative equity and were unable to keep servicing the mortgage. If you owe the bank money, you will end up getting a bad credit rating. This process happened rapidly and left many people reeling. In fact it might be more accurate to call the aftermath a bloodbath. If you want a really eye-opening and fascinating account of what led to the global economic crisis, watch Charles Ferguson's Oscar-winning documentary Inside Job. Also, Chuck Piratti's brilliant documentary for the BBC The Super Rich and Us investigates the rise of the super rich as a result of the crisis and challenges the theory of trickle-down economics. But what we were left with, after the aftermath, was actually a potential gold mine for any investor left standing. All the people who'd bought their portfolios when the property market was on the rise, that is at the top of the bubble, had ignored the cardinal rule of value investing, as decreed by the man known as the most successful investor in the world, Warren Buffett, who said you should always buy low, sell high. It was the savvy investor who knew this, that profited in the aftermath of the crisis by scooping up undervalued properties. 2. Chapter. Traditional Property Investing. Until recently, everyone seemed to accept that there were only two ways to become a property owner, which in turn was believed to be the necessary first step towards becoming a property investor. Either you inherited property or you applied for a mortgage and bought it yourself. When you inherit property from an elderly relative, there is a good chance that the mortgage has been paid off and you will own it outright. Even if there is still a mortgage on it, it's likely that the mortgage is small and there's a sizable chunk of equity in the property. Either way, as long as you make smart decisions, you've got a good chance of becoming a successful property investor ellipsis points, if that's what you want. In the past, mortgages weren't too hard to get and properties were affordable. Most professional people with a clean credit history could get a mortgage. People were able to save up for a deposit, or some might have had help from their parents. 
Once you had a deposit, you'd talk to your mortgage broker or lender and, depending on how much you qualified for, you'd go and look for properties in your price range. You might have chosen to buy a property in need of refurbishment and spent your own time doing it up in order to add value to it. You might have chosen to buy a property with more than one bedroom and rented out the other rooms to help you cover your mortgage repayments, becoming a live-in landlord. The point is, whichever way you got onto the property ladder, it really wasn't too difficult. However, as I will come to show, for most people, this model simply doesn't work anymore. 17. Property Entrepreneur, The Wealth Dragon Way to Build a Successful Property Business by Vincent One Copyright Copyright 2016 by Vincent One. 18 Property Entrepreneur. Before we look at what does and doesn't work, let's look at two important principles that any serious property investor needs to understand, the principle of leverage and, related to this, the myth of ownership. The principle of leverage the ancient Greek philosopher and mathematician, Archimedes, said, Give me the place to stand and I shall move the earth. He was demonstrating the principle of leverage by explaining that, if you had a long enough lever and a place to put a fulcrum, you could lift the earth. In other words, if you've got enough leverage, you can do anything. Leverage is about finding the path of least resistance. Finding the place where you can put in the minimum effort to get out the maximum results. Apply this to property and we are talking about how little of your own money you can put in to get the most out by selling for profit or renting out. In our daily lives I believe most people don't think nearly enough about leverage. Even when moving furniture around the house, people just go ahead and do it without thinking of the best way to do it. They just bend down pick something up and run the risk of injuring themselves in the process. In the same way, I watch many property investors put their money into property without thinking through all the possible ways in which they could do it. For example, if you bought a house using all cash, whether yours or someone else's, and then you had to put in a lot of your own effort and money, maybe to refurbish it, after which you made a small amount of profit, then that is not good leverage. Let's look at a real example to show how leverage works. Let's say you have pounds 250,000 in cash to spend. You could buy a property for pounds 250,000 outright. Now let's say that you sell it two years later for pounds 275,000. You've made a profit of pounds 25,000, and that represents a 10% return on your investment over two years. But your entire pot of pounds 250,000 was tied up in that property, unable to be used for any other investment over the time it took for that property to go up in value. Now let's say that instead of putting in pounds 250,000 of your own cash, you use pounds 200,000 of someone else's money, alone, and only pounds 50,000 of your money. Again, after two years you sell the property. Traditional Property Investing 19 for pounds 275,000, so you've made a profit of pounds 25,000, but this time the profit represents a 50% return on investment. If, using your total pot of cash, you invest in five identical properties and make the same profit each time, then you'd end up, after two years, with pounds 125,000 profit, a total 50%. Which would you rather have? The point is, the less money you put in up front, the greater the percentage return on your investment, the more leveraged your investment is. 
The myth of ownership in the example above, obviously, if you used all of your pounds 250,000 pot to buy just one house and one with a 10% return on your investment, pounds 25,000, after two years, then you would own that property outright. However, most people would go for the second option. In this case, you would be borrowing pounds 200,000 on each property. Whoever lends you the pounds 200,000 on each property will have their loan secured by the full value of the property. As long as you keep up your loan repayments, you control that property, but if you stop paying, the lender can repossess the property and you'll probably lose your deposit, because they are likely to sell it at a break-even point, or even at a loss, in order to recover their debt quickly. We have always put a massive emphasis and great importance on home ownership in Britain and Dash it's a big part of our culture in Dash but few people actually own their house outright. As I've shown above, it really doesn't make much sense to do so. Unless you have no income, and even then, think how much income you can create by leveraging your assets, there is no reason to have all your money tied up in one property. Sadly, what many people did not quite comprehend, when they bought properties at the height of the bubble and dash with huge mortgage payments and very little deposit and dash was that it only takes a couple of missed payments, before the bank can repossess your property. Many people lost their houses after the financial crash because of this. These days the lenders are a little more responsible, and are legally bound to include the words, your home is at risk, if you don't keep up mortgage payments in all advertising. When you own a house with a sizable mortgage on it, what that means is that you have certain rights. You can live in the house. 20 Property Entrepreneur Without the threat of eviction, B. Do whatever you want to it, with the necessary planning permission, if applicable, C. Rent it out, with the lender's consent, and D. Sell it, whenever you want and benefit from the appreciation, that is you own any equity in it over and above what you owe on the mortgage. You see how this is only a step above renting. You simply have more control. You do not own the property outright, you are just entitled to live in it and use it more or less, how you wish, as long as you keep up your part of the agreement, that is your repayments, with the lender. So, keep in mind here that the key factors are that you have control and that you can benefit from the appreciated equity point. If I understand these concepts it will help you grasp the strategies I introduce later in the book. I want you to start thinking about property investment in different terms. Instead of thinking about property investment as about owning as much of a property as possible, think of it in terms of gaining the most control and the right to benefit from appreciation for the least amount of money. The less money you put in, the more leveraged your investment. So, now imagine a situation where you put very little money and dash even no money and dash into the property, but still get to control the property and benefit from its appreciation. How good does that sound? Too good to be true? It's not. Stay with me. All will be revealed. The famous American businessman, John Rockefeller, said, The secret to success is to own nothing, but control everything. Learning how to control assets is probably the single most important thing a property entrepreneur will ever learn how to do. 3. Chapter. Who wants to be a property investor? During my years in the property business, I've met countless investors, and would-be investors and have identified eight different types. The novice this is one of the would-be investors. The novice is someone who is looking to get onto the property ladder. They are probably living at home, 
or renting, with the big dream of being a homeowner motivate in them to save for a deposit. Most people don't realize that, when they become a homeowner, they are also n-by default n-becoming a property investor. As such, they should learn everything they can about property investment, as many of the same rules apply, whether you are purchasing a property as a home or as a rental property. Your home is your biggest investment so you don't want to make any bad choices. People who are renting are always the keenest to get onto the property ladder. They are painfully aware that rent is dead money and look on enviously, as the property market goes up, knowing that they are not benefiting from it. They also know that their situation is always precarious. As I explained before, the Assured Shorefold Tenancy Agreement basically gives landlords the right to serve two months' notice to their tenants at any time, bar the first six months of the contract. In other countries, tenants have far more rights. In many places, as long as the 21. Property Entrepreneur, The Wealth Dragon Way to Build a Successful Property Business by Vincent Wong Copyright Copyright 2016 by Vincent Wong. 22. Property Entrepreneur, Tenant keeps paying the rent, it is very hard to get them out. However, in Britain, tenants live in fear of being given notice. Added to this stress is the knowledge that they cannot control their own property. If they want to paint or put up shelving, they need to ask permission. They may have to wait for repairs to be carried out. Even if you have a great landlord, being a tenant on an assured shorefold tenancy agreement is the least desirable position to be in, in terms of investing for your future. Most renters are not property owners for one of two reasons. Either they don't buy, because they can't get a mortgage, because they have a bad credit history or no credit history, or, because they haven't got a deposit saved up. These days, the sad thing is that it is virtually impossible for young people to save up for a deposit in today's March kit. Both the market and the lending parameters are stacked against them. In the next section, we will look at some figures and see how impossible it is for most young people to get onto the property ladder in the traditional way. The homeowner there is a common expression that says an Englishman's home is his castle. Initially it was intended to mean that a man may do whatever he pleases in his own home and that no one can enter a person's home without the owner's permission. Of course it was later amended to reflect the fact a man may only do what is legal in his own home, and that, if a necessary warrant is obtained then law enforcement officers can for sentry. But the expression has a wider significance in suggesting every Englishman and woman aspires to be a homeowner. This was Margaret Thatcher's legacy. She encouraged a culture in Britain that emphasized the goal that everyone should be aspiring to own their own home. The legacy remains as strong as ever today. In Britain, far more than in other cultures, as soon as you leave college or university, you are advised to get onto the property ladder as quickly as possible. Obviously most people can't afford to buy property outright, using cash. Most people don't have that kind of money to hand, unless they are in a very fortunate bracket. The idea, of course, is that you make money by sitting on your investment, while the price of your property goes up. You wait a few years, until you have a sizable chunk of equity in the property, and then you sell and buy. Who wants to be a property investor? 23. A larger property, in effect moving up another rung on the property ladder. You keep doing this, until you reach the top of your earning capacity and the biggest property you are ever going to live in. At this point, as your children leave the nest, 
you might decide to start downsizing. You've probably paid the mortgage off by this time. You can now sell up, buy a smaller place and use some of the equity in your property pot to supplement your pension. Potentially, at the end of your life, you might have some equity left in your property to leave as an inheritance for your children or grandchildren. There is something quintessentially British about this obsession with owning property at all costs. In many other countries, especially in the cities, people are not as desperate to own their property, they are happy to rent indefinitely. In cities like New York, Paris and Amsterdam particularly, compared to London, people do not seem to feel such an urgent need to live in property that they own. I am certain this is because of our unique assured shorefold tenancy agreement. In other cities, tenants have more rights and thus are happier to rent, often buying, when they can afford to, in more rural locations, where they can get far more bang for their buck. Of course there are also negatives to owning property, which we will come on to explore later, but the benefits are clear to see. While there can be a fantastic return on your investment as a homeowner, this is not your first priority, so you're not really behaving like an investor. As a homeowner you want a nice home, so you will spend money on it without thinking about profit. You will spend money to make your home as beautiful and comfortable as you can make it. You have different motives. As an investor you want to maximize your profit, so you don't want to spend too much money on the property, you want to make money on it. Ultimately, you are looking to make a rental income from your property investment. A homeowner uses their income to pay the mortgage. An investor uses their mortgage to get an income. When you are a homeowner, you have to pay your mortgage, out of your salary, every single month. This is why a lot of people want to 24 Property Entrepreneurs Own their house outright, so that they don't have mortgage payments every month. Ultimately, when you have a mortgage on a property you don't truly own it and, just as a landlord can always serve notice on a renter, the bank has the right to repossess your property, if you stop paying your mortgage and you would have far more to lose than a renter. Any mortgage comes with very clear warnings that your home is at risk, if you do not keep up your mortgage payments on it. So, people want to pay off their mortgages for two reasons. Firstly, they want to increase their equity in the property, but secondly and dash and most importantly and dash they don't want to be at risk from bank repasses sign. They view their mortgage as a bad debt and try to get free of it as quickly as possible. I will come on to explain, in a future chapter, why mortgage is actually a good debt and it is not the best idea to pay it off as quickly as you can. The point that I am making here is that a homeowner is not actually a real investor, however, owning a home is still better than not being on the property ladder at all, because at least you are accumulating some wealth. Some people believe that being a homeowner is the be-all and end-all. I'm here to tell you that it's not. The academic these are my least favorite people. These are the people who spend a great deal of time talking about property. They read a lot of books, memorize statistics, throw their opinions around on property forums and generally make a great deal of noise. But it's all based on what they've read, not on what they've experienced. Trust me, no one who is a serious property investor has time to dream up online alter egos and post hundreds of comments a day on property-related threads. All that these academics seem to do is criticize. They are naysayers, spreading doom and gloom to put others off press them ably, because they are too negative and cowardly to get out and start actively investing themselves. 
They love telling people what to do, even though they are doing none of it themselves. I call them property trolls, because they are just spreading negativity across various online property sites. Most of them are not investing, they would do anything rather than actively invest in property. They do not contribute to the industry in any way, shape or form. Who wants to be a property investor? 25. The developer these people see value in property only, if there is work to be done to it, that is, if they can force the appreciation of the property by raising its value even without a move in the market. This type of investing became very popular, as a result of TV shows such as Property Ladder and Homes Under the Hammer. It's all about developing and refurbishing a property. We see people in these TV shows who buy a property at auction that's in a bad state of repair, they completely renovate the property and then sell it on, for a profit, or sometimes keep it to rent it out to give them a passive income. The people who do best out of this type of investing are builders, because they can do the work themselves. The people at greatest risk are those who are not builders and have absolutely no experience of commissioning building work, because they are usually unaware of how quickly budgets can spiral and profits can disappear. Often these properties are in such a bad state of repair they are literally unmortgageable. However, a lender will usually give you a chance to bring it up to standard. If you can get a bridging loan, or, as a successful developer, can bankroll your project, allowing you to finance the purchase and the renovation work, the lender will give you a guarantee that, if you meet certain criteria and complete the agreed list of repairs then they will lend you the mortgage. Basically, a surveyor's report can come back with a full retention recommendation, that is the surveyor does not recommend that a mortgage is offered on the property at all, a specific value is not put on the property, or a partial retention recommendation, which is, where a surveyor will suggest a value subject to a specific list of works being carried out satisfactorily. Once the work is done, the developer's exit strategy will either be to sell it or to refinance it according to the terms that the lender offered. The people who got it right, made good property choices that didn't have any hidden horrors and kept to their budgets, made a fortune doing this. The TV shows inspired ordinary people to become property developers. People gave up their day jobs to become property developers. The point was, anyone could do it, teachers, nurses, civil servants ellipsis points anyone. And once people got a taste for how much money they could make developing property, they didn't want to work in 9 to 5 jobs earning limited salaries. 26 Property Entrepreneur For a while, property development was almost foolproof. Those who did well made a substantial amount of money, but those who did a bad job on their property and ran way over budget still made money. I remember watching one of Sarah Beanie's programs and the couple had done a terrible job on their renovation.